0: Amina Norman Hawkins is a Chicago legend. A hip-hop pioneer who's watched Chicago evolve and grow for close to 30 years, Amina has focused her immense talent to develop and support unique and powerful voices in the Chicago hip-hop scene. After a trip as a cultural ambassador to the Ivory Coast and the successful release of her acclaimed documentary Keep It Movin', Chicago to Côte d'Ivoire, Amina joined Second Story in January for our first performance at the Promontory in Hyde Park to share this story of her past. With her story titled The Return to Marquette Park, Second Story proudly presents Amina Norman Hawkins.
1: It's Sunday, June 24th. 2007, and I'm just a few hours from hosting the hip-hop stage at Taking It to the Streets, a community festival sponsored by the Inner City Muslim Action Network, but really it just feels like a big old neighborhood peace fest. The crowd is beginning to gather. People unfold chairs and blankets to claim spots on the grass while the real hip-hop heads flank the stage just close enough to see the spit fly from the beatbox's lips. You can just feel the excitement in the air. A young man approaches with his hand extended. Amina, 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 he announces. It's So nice to meet you. I'm blah, blah, blah. I-, I didn't actually catch his name. I heard about your story, he says. Now I'm confused. Maybe he thought I was someone else. My story, I ask? Yeah, your story. I heard about what you went through in this park back in the day. Ah, now I knew what story he was talking about. It was the Marquette Park story I didn't tell very much anymore. I grew up in Nigeria, where my dad's from. My family and I returned to live in the U.S. during the summer of 1986. I was fresh out of high school and just 16 years old. The following year, I enrolled at Loop College, now here in Washington, where I attended classes and worked in the library. So one day, a guy from one of my classes came into the library to check out a book, Hey, aren't you that girl from my poetry class? I really like your stuff. You're pretty good. I smiled and thanked him for the compliment. I couldn't tell if he was flirting or really did like my poetry. We struck up a conversation, and he soon asked if I'd be willing to join his rap group. It was a five-person group with four guys and one girl, and the girl had just quit, and they needed to replace her. I'd never rapped before, but it didn't look hard. (laughs) So I joined the group. We were called the Master Groove Association. MGA for short. And we were really a pretty good act. My rap name became Diva D. Diva because, well. And D because all great rappers had a letter in their name. The group leader's dad was a deacon, so we only made clean music. Sure, we rapped about being lyrical virtuosos and slaying whack rappers with our deaf metaphors, but we also rapped about black history, Jesus Christ, and abstinence. (laughs) We performed in churches, block club parties, at neighborhood festivals. That's where the money was, about 200 bucks a show. We had a show almost every weekend with multiple shows sometimes in the summer. We were in the Bud Billiken Parade, hung out in Cool in the Gang's Limo, performed on Petrillo Bandshell Stage in Grant Park with Teddy Riley and Rex Effects right after Rump Shaker came out. One weekend, we performed five shows in one day, culminating for opening for Heavy D in Washington Park. It was amazing! We were a really positive rap group, which was a huge asset at a time when gangster rap was gaining mainstream popularity. On Sunday, August 28th, 1988, we were scheduled to perform at Dream Day Quest, an event commemorating the 25th anniversary of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. It was in the Marquette Park neighborhood on the southwest side of the city in a park of the same name. Neither was integrated at that time. In fact, it was common knowledge in those days that Marquette Park wasn't a place black folks dare travel alone. There were some others, too, Bridgeport, Cicero, Berwyn. We didn't see much going on that day as we approached the park. We drove west on 71st Street from the Dan Ryan Expressway. We passed Western and then California. Then we approached Kedzie. We were all just a little uneasy being there. It was, after all, Marquette Park. We made small talk in the car as we set our sights on the park trying to figure out where to go. Then someone pointed over to a large gathering. There was a crowd of a few hundred people in front of a stage. The people were aroused and animated. Then we noticed about half of them dressed in white robes. Then we saw a giant cross. And then it hit us. We had arrived at a Ku Klux Klan rally. We were so confused. We nervously joked about how this was not our target audience. (laughs) And what a cruel joke this would be if this was actually our destination. It it didn't make sense. How the heck did we get booked here? How the heck could this be? This can't be. We're we're not going to stop here, are we? No, we didn't stop. We couldn't stop the car. We drove past turned the corner towards 67th Street. And as the Klan rally faded in the distance behind us, another stage and crowd started becoming visible ahead. This time we saw colorful banners and a sign that read, I have a dream, and we decided that this must be the place. (laughs) There was designated parking lot for the performers, but there were policemen blocking the entrance of and for whatever reason, they would not let us in. They directed us to street parking, which was four blocks away. The walk back to the performance area was swift. We weren't taking any chances getting caught up with the Klansmen. I was anxious. My normal pre performance jitters had been replaced with something more sinister. But I assured myself we'd be fine and tried to shift into a lighter mood for the show. We performed as usual, and we ended our set with the anti-drug wake-up rap. I can still remember some of my verse. You say it makes you feel good, you say it makes you fly, then you risk yourself for a fatal high. You claim you're not an addict and that you can stop, but we all know a bad habit, it's hard to drop. How do you risk your life for artificial pleasures, never knowing the extent of your endeavors? You shoot to kill, you aim to steal. Just to drive a dope ride, you start to deal. Now you're the dope man, the people all jock you. But what about the little kid you sold the rock to? There goes another one on the streets. Too young to stand on his own two feet. Smoking his life away and for what? Yo, people, it's time to wake up. We wowed the crowd as usual. And at the end of the performance I went into the trailer to get paid As soon as I got the check in my hand There was a frantic pounding on the door It was one of my group members They're coming, they're coming We gotta go now I stepped out of the trailer to resonating chants Echoing through the park Niggas go home Niggas go home Niggas go home the entire KKK rally was slowly marching in our direction. I couldn't believe it. We hurried the same way we came and started trying to plot our way back to the car. I noticed yellow police tape all around the park. I don't know if it had been there the whole time or not. It was also hard to process. See, i had only been living in the U.S. for a few years, but in Nigeria, in Nigeria, the discrimination is rooted in tribalism. See, people may dislike you because of your skin color, of your language, or your dialect, or your village, but never your skin color, because we were all the same color. So it never mattered. But this, this was savage. This was barbarian. This was the kind of thing I only saw in black and white television images from back in the day. Surely this didn't exist anymore. It was 1988 and we're being chased by the Ku Klux Klan. We were just rappers. We were just kids. And now we're trying to scheme our way past an angry mob of white people who revolted at us being in their park. My friends wanted to simply crash through the crowd. No, fuck that, they're not stopping us. Let's just run right through them. Me, I thought that was a terrible idea. I didn't think anyone was thinking rationally. I wanted to talk it over, but they said there was no time to talk. At one point, a news van rode alongside us for a tight shot, but rejected our plea for a ride. We saw other people leaving away from the parking lot where we were refused, but they were too far to help. We were all alone with these crazy people. I was so scared. Suddenly there's more chanting, only this time it's coming from the sidewalk. An angry mob of neighborhood residents was beginning to gather on the edge of the park by California. Where did they come from? We had just come this way an hour ago and there was no one around. We walked closer to them and closer. Our pace almost synchronized. We were just a few feet away from the angry mob of men, women, and sadly, even children. Something inside of me wanted to stop, but my friends weren't about to slow down. Go home, niggas. Go home. Get out of here. Get out of here. With no hesitation, the guys ripped the yellow tape and broke through the crowd. I followed. The crowd parted. No one touched us. We ran all the way to our cars and never looked back. We rarely spoke about that day again. Now, 20 years later, I'm looking into the eyes of this eager, energetic, young, brown-skinned man wondering if he really had any idea what we went through. Dr. King took a brick in the head in this same park in 1966 and stated that he had never seen as much hatred and hostility on the part of so many people. I have a history here, too. But why had I buried it so long? I wondered if maybe I had convinced myself that we had overcome those dark days in America and this particular story was no longer relevant. But I was wrong. I held in this painful story because sharing it forced me to relive those dark, tense moments. And I didn't want to go back there. We became victims that day. Our innocence scarred by hatred abused in public by total strangers, and no one helped us. No one rescued us. No one consoled us. No one said they were sorry. No one. Ever. The music is blasting through the park now. Almost time for the show to begin. The young man and I part ways. I take my position center stage with a mic in my hand. What's up, everybody? Y'all ready for some hip-hop? Let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. All right, then, make some noise, Chicago. We are about to take it to the streets. Let's go!
0: by Second Story, Director of Programming Jessica Danish, with performance direction from Teresa Hoditz and a live sound design by Mikhail Fyza and Seeking Wonderland. I met Amina at the Second Story Studio early on a cold January morning to discuss her experience with the Second Story process. You
1: know, in the beginning, I wasn't. Again, I'm, it was a new process for me, so I was a little reserved. Um, but I loved the input and being able to look at my story with different eyes because it's still my story the story wasn't going to change just the way that I was telling it with rap it's so individual Mm -hmm. like I write my lyrics Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes I have the music ahead of time sometimes I don't Um, but this it just kind of came alive um, with me as a member of this ensemble and each one of our Pieces was an instrument. So we created something.
0: I asked Amina why she has continued her involvement with the Chicago hip-hop community. Ninety two, so, ninety three. As Wicker Park was like on the real world or just coming up to the real world, like as it was going right through that before Wicker that. Park revolution. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: when it still smelled like pee everywhere, yeah, yeah. that Wicker Park. And then uh, one of my longtime friends one day is like, you know what? We should rap. And, of course, as you know from my story, I've heard this one before, and then I entered the hip-hop circuit. And what made it feel like community is we were just a bunch of young urban artists creating industry, creating places to perform, going to open
0: mics, supporting each other. I would love to hear you talk about uh, why... You think the Chicago hip hop community has stayed so strong for so long, and why it's it's continued to produce such amazing artists? I
1: think it has remained that way, in part because um, we're very much still rooted in the organic culture of hip hop. We still practice the, you know, original elements of DJing, breaking, or b boying and b girling, graffiti, seeing. Um, And of course, that that piece of knowledge um, and, and community involvement, a lot of us do it because we have to, and that need to create and produce art, it stayed strong because we're connected to the roots and the essence of the culture.
0: Amina is an exciting personality and activist within the Chicago poetry and hip-hop scenes. You can learn more about her partnership with artists in Côte d'Ivoire by checking her out on the Second Story website at secondstory.com. Be sure to jump into the live conversation. Join us at our next live show in Chicago at the Peckish Pig in Rogers Park on February 7th and 8th. You can also visit us on Facebook or Twitter to interact with the Second Story artists and performers about their work. You can always reach me for comment on this or any other Second Story podcast at podcast at secondstory.com. If you like this podcast, please take a minute and review us on iTunes. As crazy as it might sound, it really does help us attract new listeners to this show. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. We share our stories so you'll share yours. So now go out and knock them down with story power. I'm Ozzie Top, and this is Second Story.
1: You know, I'm, I love um, the fact that he introduced me to Second City, and I can't wait for us to actually work on
0: some stuff together. Say that again. Second Story.
1: Oh God, did, so did I say you worry, Second don't City? Don't worry,
0: it happens all the time. Does it really? I'm oh, not the first. Okay. Not the first, not the last. What did I
1: say? Second City. Oh, <laughs> I don't.